Um, and let's take a look at it. It's in the, it's in the, the Bibles in your pews, uh, page 1117 at the very bottom, Matthew 6.33. And this is one of the uh, uh, important teachings that Jesus brings to us. In Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Before we get to the meaning behind this wonderful and very powerful scripture, let's take a look at what Jesus was talking about on the Sermon on the Mount and how his teachings at the time uh, were not only applicable to first century Palestine, but are very applicable to our lives today. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is memorialized in chapters 5 through 7. Um, on a hillside near Capernaum, Jesus sat down not too far outside of the the Sea of Galilee, just north of the Sea of Galilee. And this is very early in Jesus' ministry. He sat down and did the Sermon on the Mount. And it was seen as a pretty radical turn from the tr known traditions of his day. And what was so radical about it was Jesus taught with authority. He taught as a rabbi with authority through the power of the Word of God. And his teachings on the Sermon on the Mount that challenged the legalistic religious establishment regarding what was most important to God at the time. What Jesus taught in that day on the Sermon on the Mount over a period of days was that heartfelt obedience is more important than legalistic observ uh, observations. And when you think about the heart, heartfelt, it's, a, it's an amazing perspective. Um, here, the religious leaders of the day, they thought that as long as they held to their laundry list of rules, and, and you know, it's not just of the day, it's of today too. Sometimes we think that we hit our checklists. You know, we've got to go to church, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, and maybe we'll look better in the eyes of God. Same thing back in the day. They were going through the law, honoring the law, and they thought they were good to go. They gave all the appearances of being fully religious and pious, yet along comes this lowly carpenter from Nazareth <clears throat> with this new teaching. He said, it's not what you do, it is the heart behind what you are doing. And of course, it's not a new teaching. The leaders had gone down the wrong path at the time, uh, for many different reasons. They lost sight of God's true message of salvation. Or they wished to honor themselves under the auspices of honoring God. Uh, we're not sure. There were a lot of different views. Uh, the Pharisees took on a lot of different perspectives. We know Nicodemus came to Jesus. But yet the Pharisees at the time, they were the primary reason why Jesus was crucified. Either way, and I think this is uh, paramount, either way, Jesus referred to them as whitewashed tombs. And I think that this is applicable even today. Whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of bones of the dead and everything unclean on the inside. That is extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. What Jesus was referring to was the heart. They were not honoring God. They had a facade of honoring God. They lived, they lived lavishly. 
They took the first seats. They were honored among their people. They sought only their own desires. They sought their own heart. Matthew 6.33 is a linchpin of sorts in the Sermon of the Mount. It's my, actually my life verse. It helped me come and discover exactly who God was, not who I thought God was, but who God was and what God wanted me to do, how I was to honor him. It provides a message for the poor and the oppressed. It transcends basic human needs. And it focuses on the eternal rewards that God has for each and every one of us. Yet subtly it pins a message to those who only have themselves in mind. That being, if you're seeking the life of a whitewashed tomb, then death and bones are what you're going to end up with. Let's read it again. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. As simple as it seems, what does Jesus intend to convey with Matthew 6.33? I'm going to tear it apart. Okay, This is the way I find Scripture. I love Scripture. If you tear it apart piece by piece, there's so much in it that just enlightens us so we can live our lives according to God. The first thing Jesus says is, but. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, if my parents said something, usually it was pretty good, and they put but in there, right? it, it was time to listen up, right? You know, I, I know this happened, but if it happens again, right, that's usually what happens. I'm not made of money, you know, one of those things came out. But is a, a conjunction, obviously, that contrasts two things. It can mean a, a number of different things, but Jesus is using it here um, to contrast. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches about many different topics. The Sermon on the Mount contains the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer. He covers topics of the law, sinful behavior, the needy, retaliation, loving our enemies, fasting, and the big one, money. But in chapter 6, what Jesus is talking about is worry and anxiety, which perfectly suits this verse. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was seated before Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount, I'd be a little worried. He just said all these things, and I figured I'm keeping the law when really my intent was not what it really should have been. In verse just, just before this, Jesus speaks in verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you do or what you wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Well, back then, that's mainly what everybody worried about. Where am I going to eat? How am I going to cover myself? The clothing you wore um, was, very, um, uh, was worth a lot. It was very valuable back then. 
Usually you had one pair, one pair of sandals, one cloak, and maybe even just one meal a day. At the time, Jesus tells them not to worry about these things. He says, but. He lays all that out and he says, but. Listen and hear the words that I am about to say. For I have good news for you. Your concerns, which are important now, are not what's vitally important. And what Jesus says is, listen to what I have to say next. That one little word he's telling people, listen, I've got great things to tell you. The next two words, seek first. Well, it's kind of obvious what that means. The Greek word for seek is zetio. It means to aim or strive after. In a sense, it's what we focus on the most. It's not only what we focus on, but it's what we desire. It lends to looking for what's most important in our lives. Here, Jesus is considering our hearts again. Seek first. He's not asking you to physically go and look. He's saying, align your heart. Only a few passages before, in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus, while discussing heaven to the crowds, says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, we often talk about what our heart's desires are. Could be anything. Some people want fame and fortune. Some people um, want to stand before a congregation and give a sermon. Um, there's uh, many things that we desire. What your heart desires is indeed your treasure. It's your priority. It's where you spend your money and your time. I once heard a person say, if I can look at your calendar and your checkbook, I'll know exactly what's most important to you. Guilty. Of all the things Jesus knows to heart, throughout the gospel he discusses the heart as the core of who we are. It's how we make our decisions. In Mark 3, 5, Jesus says the heart can be stubborn. In 7, 6, it controls our words. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Dane Ortland, who's one of my favorite authors, said in his book, Gentle and Lonely, the Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers, calls the heart the central animating center of who we are. It defines us. It drives us. It is who we are. Tim Keller says that he understands the struggles of our heart and the setting of our hearts is, that is what's most important. Keller tells us that the main human struggle is not between the heart and something else, but the forces that tear it in different directions. The great battle is deciding where your heart's greatest love, hope, and trust will be directed. This is what Jesus is talking about. When he says, seek first, He's talking about where is your heart? What do you desire? Where does your loyalty lie? Where are we committed? Jesus wants us to look towards God for our needs and exchange a life of sin for a life, for an eternal life with Jesus. What he's telling the Pharisees is, the law tells you what the sin is. 
but the law cannot save you. Your heart, I want your heart. I want to give you divine providence, divine grace is what, where salvation is going to rest. It is this importance to catch hold of the heart, to rethink your priorities, calculate your desires for what Jesus has to say next. He wants our servant's heart. So he says, but, he says, listen. And he says, set your heart, because I got something to tell you. I want you to seek my kingdom. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of what Jesus came to establish on earth. Jesus was the kingdom. Up until now, all the world had was the law, and the law just told us what we did was sin. They had sacrifices for sin. They had to continuously sacrifice for sin. Mankind was cursed from the very beginning to labor, work the earth, toil under sin's condemnation. By the sweat of his brow, man will eat of the ground, and it will produce thorn and thistle. I've never heard of a thorn and thistle sandwich, but, you know, you get the point. This was a life under the law, no reconciliation except through what the priests would give. Jesus came to establish the kingdom, his kingdom. He provides the sustenance. The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that we can observe, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. This is what Jesus said. He said this to the Pharisees. Now, some say the kingdom of God is within you. There are a couple of different uh, renditions of that. But in your midst is the best translation, which means that Jesus stood before the Pharisees and said, I'm here. This is the kingdom. I'm bringing the kingdom. If you'll accept me, we'll have the kingdom of God. And he stood in their midst. He did the miracles. He showed them who he was, and yet they rejected him. The kingdom was right before them, and they never saw it. But the kingdom is also a very real place. We know in Revelation that the kingdom comes down, that the Lord comes down to us, lowering the kingdom of God to earth. It will descend from heaven, and Jesus will be our king. So the kingdom of God is a very real place, and we're going to experience that kingdom. Still, how do we seek it now? I mean, where do we find the kingdom of God? We find it in the Bible. We live biblical lives. We place our faith in God. We seek his will and we do his work. We do this by reading and studying and meditating on the word of God. By praying. The Holy Spirit coming into us. Praying for his guidance and care. And also fellowshipping right here. The kingdom of God is among us as we congregate. This is just a, a shadow or a vision of what's really going to be when he comes down. So we seek it by living and imitating Christ, living out the precepts of the Bible. That's the meaning, a life of worship, servitude, obedience, evangelism, and repentance. Simply living the gospel of Jesus Christ in the life that you have right now and seeking the kingdom through the gospel. So that we know that the kingdom is as a shadow among us right now. We can live as citizens of the kingdom. The kingdom will come down. So Jesus is saying, listen up. I need your heart right now. I need you to seek 
citizenship in my kingdom. And then he says, I want you to seek my righteousness. And what's always interesting to me about that that, that passage is he doesn't say, seek your own righteousness. He doesn't say, seek our righteousness. Or attempt to gain righteousness. This is not a recipe to gain righteousness. What he says is, seek God's righteousness. And we we know righteousness only has one name, and that name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is righteousness. He is right. He is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We seek righteousness that is in Jesus Christ, and we know that the world loosely defines righteousness as doing the right thing, you know, um, having integrity, being honest. Um, Some of those terms are very subjective in the world very subjective virtue maybe righteousness the greek word is dikaianosine i don't speak greek very well which means righteousness and justice but it's used in the context of god as the source of that righteousness and justice that's an objective source that's a benchmark if man was his own benchmark Of course, there is no objectivity. But with God as our benchmark, righteousness is objective. But righteousness is hard to find. Isaiah describes the righteousness of man very clearly. He says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Ouch, that hurts. No matter how good you think you can be, you're not good enough. We just cannot attain righteousness in the eyes of God. But, remember that but? But, listen up. There's good news. There's good news coming. Paul addresses righteousness in Philippians 3, 8, 9. And you know, Paul was the, one of the Pharisees that, in the eyes of God, had committed um, no uh, errors with the law. He was sinful, don't get me wrong. But in the eyes of the law, he was blameless. And Paul says this, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What Paul is saying is, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not based on the things that I did, but based on who has saved me. So how do we seek righteousness? How do we do that? If Isaiah tells us our righteousness, our good acts are filthy rags, and Paul says, look, in the eyes of the law, I'm blameless, and yet I can't get there. How do we get there? Simply, Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the answer. There's kind of a theme to all this, in case you haven't noticed. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We couldn't do it. And God knew that. 
God wants to be with us. And we messed that up pretty much from the beginning. And he so loved the world, come on now, that he gave his only son to die on the cross so that we could have his son's righteousness. In exchange for our sin, he gave us his righteousness. I don't understand, but I'll take it. I'm amazed. Only through the heartfelt repentance, through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, can anyone be righteous before the Lord? When we accept him as our only hope, as our Lord and Savior, only then are we seeking righteousness. And that righteousness is seeking it through sanctification. Once you become a child of Christ, a child of God, sanctification is the continuing, continuous seeking of his righteousness in our lives. So we have, but, listen, and then he's saying, I need to speak to your heart for a minute. Let me have your heart. I have a kingdom where I'm going to take care of all your needs. And I have a righteousness that I'm going to give you. But there's more. All these things shall be added. The Greek word for all these things is pas. And it means all, surprisingly. It's the same word. It doesn't mean a portion of it or a semblance. It means totally. It means each and every. It means the whole. There is nothing withheld when God says he will provide all we need. Now, there's a little bit more to say about this. As a fallen, worldly, sinful human, we immediately consider our wants when we hear our needs. Well, who among us can't, doesn't want a little extra money in their bank account or maybe a better riding car or, you know, some newer tires for the winter? You know, we all have these wants, you know. Some of them are needs, but they're wants. They're really wants. Really what we want is, or what we need is to be able to eat and live and love and have shelter and these basic needs. But, you know, having a nice pair of shoes or a place, nice house to go to, this is important to us. Left to our own desires, humans want to do a little genie bobble, bottle polishing with God. And we can come up with a whole different list of reasons of things that we want, things that we think we need. And, and many of us are content. But if someone left a million dollars sitting on your front stoop, you might, you know, you might keep a little bit of it. I don't know. Give it to the police and they'll give it back to you. That's my official stance. Um, but, you know, there are th churches that strive off of these kinds of things. You know, this, this passage can be taken well out of context, giving all the things that you need. It's called prosperity. And the prosperity is not what this scripture intends. Prosperity in the eyes of God, is seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. It's not what you get here. God says that he'll provide for you like he provides for the 
birds of the air and the flowers of the field. But he doesn't, he's not a genie. He's not going to give you all the things that you want. But he will provide for what you need. God has a design and a plan for each and every one of us. And it means divine providence in the form of maybe five talents for some, maybe three or one. Either way, it's what God knows you need. And if you, if you really want the world, I once heard it said that if you really want all the world has to offer, well, the devil's your guide. Okay, he'll give you everything you need, but he's going to take everything from you. And eventually you're going to be left with nothing. You're going to be left without the most important thing, which is God. This passage does say that given your desire for God and seeking his righteousness, not only will you get what you need, but you'll get more. And you know what I've found through my short life is that as I honor God and truly seek his kingdom and righteousness, I'm always amazed at how my needs are met. And some would say they're miraculous at times. I'm sure we all have stories of coincidences that just are not coincidences. God gives you what you need, but he gives it what you need because he knows what you need to do his mission here on earth. God is telling us that he promises us eternal life, eternal riches if we seek him, and there's no way he will deny us what we need and more if we strive to bring his message to this world. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to suffer, doesn't mean you're not going to have hard times, and doesn't mean you're going to get all you want. But God will provide. By seeking God and not things, by seeking the creator and not the creation, we're not only receiving our primary portion, we receive a gracious, gracious reward of more. More things for not seeking things. That's our God. It, that's just amazing to me. In short, as you journey through life doing God's work, seeking the kingdom and his righteousness, God will provide. It does not mean that we're not supposed to work. It does not mean we simply use that catch-all phrase, well, God will provide. But we are assured that God will meet our needs as we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So as I close, in Matthew 6.33, Jesus is saying, listen to me. I need to hear your heart for a moment. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness, and I will provide for you always and forever. By doing his will, which is perfect for him and for us, we get what we need and more to include everlasting life with a creator who knows our every need and wants to spend eternity with us. So Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite preachers of all time, and he puts it in such great perspective in Faith's checkbook. He says, see how the Bible opens. In the beginning, let your life open in the same way. Seek with your whole soul, first and foremost, the kingdom of God as the place of your citizenship and his righteousness as the character of your life. As for the rest, it will come from the Lord himself without you being anxious or concerning. All that is needful for this life and godliness 
shall be added unto you. This sounds um, pretty spectacular to me. The best part is it's available and it's free. Free of charge. All you need to do is make a decision. And you can do that right here and right now. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, repent of your sins. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and that His Father raised Him from the dead. And you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. But know this. But. But. Know this. These are not just words. When we desire to follow Jesus, we can speak very eloquently. We can tell people what we think. We can say we did all these things in your name. But Jesus knows. Bring that heart. Bring that heart. Say those words with your heart. And Jesus will always be there for you. We have to strive to bring to the fallen earth this message of salvation. By seeking God and not things. By heartfelt obedience, that's how we find God's kingdom and seek his righteousness. Not sometimes, not on special occasions. And I know I'm speaking to the choir here. But there's somebody out there that is listening to this message and thinking, I want to know more about this Jesus guy. I want to know more about what he gave me. I want to know more about this eternal life. This life of seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. When you give all you have to Him, He gives everything you need back to you and more. My question is, will you seek Him today? Will you seek His kingdom? Will you seek His righteousness? Will you allow your heart to open up to Him and His message? Are you willing to accept the gospel message today? And join Christ in His body journeying into a world to cleanse a world and heal a world, bring his message of hope and salvation into the world and heal the sick and depraved. You have a choice and you can make that choice today. Seek ye first, but seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and all else I will provide. That is the message for today. Um, I want to thank everybody for allowing me to stand up here. I'm not as animated as Pastor Joe, obviously. But it's always very important to bring the whole message and the whole word of God. And for those that are still seeking God or looking to know more about the gospel, um, we are here today. I'd love you to come forward. We can pray with you. Um, you can reach out, come to church anytime. There are so many wonderful saints here at Liberty. And um, I think it's important to make a decision today. Tomorrow is not promised. And you can have all you need from our God.
not just in this life, which is but a wisp, but for all eternity. God bless you all. Thank you.